As you're just heading back from the lollipop table, let me, let me open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for gathering us here today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come before you and discover more. We pray, Lord, that as we look at what your word has today to say to us about prayer, that you would be our teacher. Train us, Lord, as disciples to be better and better at what you want to put within us and make us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, as we run through some of the key values here at King's, uh, last week, Michael spoke to us about the Bible, the Word of God. That is a key foundational value for us in this church today. We are looking at the second one of uh, 12 or 13, and today I'm going to speak to you about prayer. Prayer. It's the foundational building block for us, and I've got about half an hour to speak this morning. Uh, The thing is, with just half an hour, where do you start? Uh, I mean, I could talk about what is prayer, you know, what is prayer? I could take that angle. I could say that prayer takes many forms, in fact. There's intercession, asking for things. There's praise. There's confession. There's lament. There's questioning God, you know, agonizing. Why, why God? Why did you allow that? Why are you doing this in my life? Or I could try to answer the question, how to pray? Out loud or silently? With a group or on your own? How, how do I stop my mind from wandering off? Does that ever happen to anybody here? How do I stop my mind from wandering off? When is the best time to pray? How long should I pray for? Jesus said, don't go on and on. Well, what does that look like? What about prayer and fasting? Or I could delve into the theological angle issues. Uh, For example, what is the point of praying if God knows the future, the end from the beginning already? What's the point of praying about it if God already knows? Uh, What about unanswered prayer? We all want to know about unanswered prayer. Actually, it's good sometimes that God delays answering our prayers. For example, John Ortberg who's a pastor of a church in Silicon Valley. He leads a church there. He has an uncle, Otis, Otis Ortberg. And he's on the prayer ministry team at his church. And he once ministered to a man who came forward and he said, well, what do you want Jesus to do for you today? And he said, Otis, I've got this severe constipation problem. And so Uncle Otis, full of faith, he laid a hand on him and said, Lord, heal this man immediately. And... uh, Everybody in the immediate vicinity was relieved that that particular prayer went unanswered, that the Lord delayed his reply, his answer for that prayer. The New York pastor, Tim Keller, says this, God will either give us what we ask for or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. There are roughly 650 different prayers recorded in the Bible. I could preach on all of them this morning. We'll be here till I don't know when. In addition, there are about 550 verses mentioning the word prayer. It's a big subject in the Bible. Going to the Bible to find out what it says about praying is a little bit like going to the Niagara Falls to get a glass of water. There's so much in there. And without exaggeration, we could put together a whole series on prayer that would last the whole year, and we still wouldn't get through all of it. There's much more to say. 
90% of Christians in a recent uh, poll who were interviewed recently, a few years ago actually, said they find prayer difficult or challenging. 90%. And I'm tempted to say that the other 10% have been known to lie on occasions. I think we all find it challenging. I'm certainly one of the 90%. I'll hold my hand up. I have been woken up with drool running down from the corner of my mouth, having fallen asleep in every conceivable bodily posture while praying. And this explains actually why I personally find it easiest to pray most productively when I'm out walking. I cannot fall asleep when I'm walking through the Deans or South Park or somewhere. I cannot fall asleep. I also find it, being an extrovert, much more enjoyable, much easier to pray with others than I find praying on my own. That's just me. Uh, You have to do what works best for you. Um, Work that out and do that. But I want to say this, just as a farmer will never enjoy a harvest without first sowing seed, digging up the soil, sowing seed, watering the earth. Likewise, we will never see God move significantly in our lives without investing prayer into the things that we care about. It's just the way it works. We just won't see much unless we are and become people of prayer. Prayer is usually the decisive difference between what we want God to do and what God actually does. Prayer stands in the middle. So however hard we find prayer, and I've admitted I find it hard, practically all of us do at times, we've got to find a way, haven't we, to make progress in this. I'm going to say a little bit at the end about how we plan to make prayer really foundational actually foundational rather than just an aspiration for us here at King's. But first I want to look at what God's word says. And I felt this morning that I should zoom in on just two verses from the Old Testament. And they're tucked away like a needle in a haystack amidst a long list of names, about 11 chapters of names. There's a little two-verse interlude in it. I'll read it in a minute. In the year 2000, a man called Bruce Wilkinson from Walk Through the Bible Ministries wrote a short book, just 80 pages, but it became a global phenomenon. It's selling well over 10 million copies. And it's actually in the top five best-selling Christian books of all time. And the book was about the prayer of one obscure Old Testament character about whom we know nothing else, And that book is called The Prayer of Jabez. Prayer of Jabez. What a pain. Has anybody ever said that about you? Have you ever said it about someone else? What a pain. Well, it was said about this man, Jabez. What a pain. It's actually what his name means. In Hebrew, it's pronounced Yabetz. We're just going to stick with Jabez today, okay? Jabez is what his name means. It means literally one who has brought me pain. Imagine having that hanging around your neck all your life. One who's brought me pain. And when he was born, the labor pains were unbearable for his mother and she took it out on him. She never let him forget it. 
but it was a difficult experience for her. When, when she named him, she wanted him and everyone else to know that bringing this child into the world traumatized her. Now, most mothers suffer in the process of giving birth, if not all. But how many mums do you know who take it out on their kids by giving them names like pain and distress? Soreness Lambert, Agony Kennedy. I think we would say that Jabez came from a dysfunctional family with a complaining and controlling mother whose inability to move on from her bad experience loaded her son with guilt all his life. But in spite of this unpromising start to life, Jabez overcame the setbacks of his birth and upbringing. The Bible says he was honorable. He was, in fact, more honorable than the rest of his family. That's what 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 to 10 says. This is what it says. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be on me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. Now, the key to the way out from this man's unhappy, almost cursed childhood is prayer. It's this prayer. There's a church leader in uh, Bournemouth in the south of England called Tim Matthews. I read his book a few years ago. And Tim Matthews sometimes talks about his big butt. Do you have a big butt? <laughs> Hope you do. Tim Matthews is not talking about the measurements of his posterior. Okay? You'll be glad to hear that. It's actually a comment on Psalm 109, verse 4, which says this. With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me. But, and here's the big but, but I am a man of prayer. And this Psalm 109 is written by King David before he was king. And at this stage in his life, he's on the run from an insanely jealous and controlling king called Saul, who's tracking him down. And Saul has hundreds of men, all intent on killing him, locating him and killing him. And David is having to flee for his life and take refuge in desert caves. And God has allowed all of this to happen in his life. God never disputes, the, sorry, David never disputes the fact that God has allowed this to happen, but it doesn't mean he just resigns himself to that as his fate forever. Just the opposite. But he says, I'm a man of prayer. This is going to change. And however bleak your circumstances are, think about it could be your health, it could be your finances, it could be your situation at work, it could be your family. Whatever it is, your prayer adds 
a huge and decisive but to your outlook. The Bible says Jabez cried out, cried out to the God of Israel. It's not his mother's crying out in pain that's going to define his life. It's his crying out to God in prayer. And this proves to be, in fact, the turning point of Jabez's life. Jabez had a big but. Yes, I was born in pain. Yes, my mother has put this millstone around my neck all my childhood. Yes, I've lived under this curse, as it were, all my life. But I'm going to turn to God and I'm going to cry out to him to act in such a way that my past is no longer going to dominate my present or dictate my future. Jabez asks the Lord's blessing on his life. Oh, that you would bless me. See, Jabez, despite all he's gone through in his early life, Jabez believes that God is a good, good father. That's who you are. You're a good, good father. And as Jesus says, our father delights to give good gifts to his children when they, what is it? Ask. When they ask. James 4, verse 2 God calls a spade a spade, and he says, you don't have because you don't ask. That's it. That's why. So Jabez goes to God, and he asks. He knows that the Lord had said to his ancestor Abraham, I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. God did that for Abraham. He also knows all about Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who wrestles with an angel all night long. And he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And Jacob gets the blessing. He got what he fights for. And Jabez asks for blessing so that he can in turn be a blessing to others and not cause pain. Our purpose here as the people of God, as this church, is to be a portal of blessing to the world. That's what God calls us to be. But you and I have got nothing good to offer anybody unless we ourselves have first been blessed. We give out of the fullness of what God has poured into our lives. So hear the passion, hear the desperation in Jabez's prayer. Oh, that you would bless me. So wants God's blessing on his life. And I want to ask you, are you ready to do battle in prayer and just refuse to give up until blessing comes upon you, upon your church, upon your community? Ask God. Go on, ask him. Ask him. Ask for favor, the measure of which will will spill over and bring blessing to you, your family, your community, and your church. Ask him. Ask him to bless you. Jabez does that. He also goes on to ask God to enlarge his territory. See, Jabez has got his eyes set on growth. He wants his life of faith to have greater reach than it already had. Don't you? Is that what you want? Your life to have greater reach. See, Jabez could have just accepted his lot and resigns himself to a life of emotional want 
and lack of love and constantly unmet needs. Have you ever asked God for something so big, so amazing that it could not, you could not possibly achieve it by yourself? It would just have to be God. Ask God to increase, increase, to enlarge his sphere of grace around your life. Ask him to extend your territory. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. That is our reality. That's who we are. Then Jabez asks for God's hand to be with him. Now, the hand of the Lord in the Bible always means his power, his might, his omnipotent power. It says, for example, in Joshua 4, that God dried up the Red Sea so that, quote, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. And it says in Acts 11, another example, it says that the hand of the Lord was with the Christians as they took the gospel into new territory and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Why the hand of the Lord was with them. Ask God today that his hand will be on your life, will be on your church so that when it comes to pass, everyone will say that can only have been the hand of God. I read a testimony in Premier Christianity magazine a few years ago, which really encouraged me to persevere in faith and pray for things that I'd started to pray for long ago. And it was written by a man, I can't remember his name, but I do remember who he was talking about. He was talking about a girl that he couldn't stop thinking about, a young woman called Esther, who he really fancied. And um, he didn't know if she fancied him. And he was very nervous about asking her out. He think, oh, should I or shouldn't I? You know, will she say no? What am I going to do with all the uh, disappointment and the, the rejection? How am I going to cope if she says, get lost? So he starts to ask God for guidance. And this is when he says this. He said, I was on my lunch break. I went out for a sandwich, and as I pulled out some cash from my wallet to pay for the sandwich, I looked down at it, and it was a five-pound note, and written in pencil on this five-pound note, it's one of those old paper banknotes, was written on this banknote the name Esther. And what are the chances? Just been praying about Esther. Lord, show me, give me a sign. A five-pound note, Esther. He took it as a sign from God. He said, I went into a shop, and I bought a small picture frame and I framed that banknote. And then he decides to ask Esther, uh, to ask her out later in the week. And if she says yes, he's going to give her this framed banknote with this name written on it, if she says yes. So they meet up and uh, he asks her to be his girlfriend and she said she'd love to. Great. And he says, right, I've got a present for you. And he, gets, he gives her this little box wrapped in pretty paper. And she tears the paper off and she opens the box and she holds up the frame and she goes very quiet. She just stares at this framed five-pound note. And there's an awkward silence. And so he tells her how he came across this five-pound note. 
And finally she looks up and she looks at him, but she's not smiling at all. Well, it definitely wasn't the reaction he was hoping for. And finally she slips this framed five pound note into her handbag. Anyway, long story short, short, short uh, she seems so out of sorts with this that he's reluctant to press her about it. Two years later, they get married, and as they're moving into their flat together, they're unpacking these boxes, and he comes across this framed five-pound note again, you see? And he said, Esther, you never told me why you acted so strangely when you opened this when I gave it to you. And this time she takes the frame in her hand and faces a beaming smile. She said, if I had told you then the story behind this, I think you would have just felt too pressurized as we just started our relationship together. She said, basically, a few years before we met, a few years, she said, I was working as a, as a cashier in a printing shop. And I started thinking one day, how do you know that you've met the love of your life? And she said, I got this idea. So I wrote my name on a five-pound note, and I gave it out when I had to give change. And I prayed as I wrote my name on this five-pound note that that banknote would somehow, in a way that God only knows, would go, would go on to end up with the man that I would go on to marry. Well, that's the hand of God right there, isn't it? It's pretty amazing. The hand of God. Let your hand be with me. And the final part of Jabez's prayer is that God will keep him from harm so that he will be free from pain. See, causing pain and being labeled a pain is, is just a cycle that goes on repeating itself through the generations because hurt people hurt people, you know, pastoral cliche, isn't it? Hurt people hurt people. And the prayer of Jabez is a simple request that God is going to break that destructive cycle and pattern of pain so that there is a better legacy to pass on. Some of you know about the, uh, the Japanese art of kintsugi. Uh, it's the art of repairing broken ceramics with gold or silver lacquer. And it comes from Japanese, two Japanese words, kin, it means gold, and tsugi, that means join. So it's to join with gold. And kintsugi, it takes cracked pottery and it makes it into something lovely. Isn't that a beautiful bowl there? It's lovely, isn't it? The Bible says that God loves to give a crown of beauty instead of ashes. And the oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise. I think we've been wearing that garment of praise this morning instead of a spirit of despair. God, God never promises to anybody a life with no pain, with no heartbreak. But he does promise to turn all that is shattered and crushed in us into something more beautiful if we ask him. So Jabez brought his brokenness to God in prayer. And the Bible says this very simply, God granted his request. 
This is very important, what I'm just about to say. Your past, whatever it is, does not determine your future. Provided, provided you live in the identity that God has given you. See, God's word says you're not an orphan. You are, in fact, a treasured child, adopted by grace, by your loving Heavenly Father. You're not a prisoner to your past. You are a new creation. You've got faith in Jesus. You're not a miserable sinner. You are a mended saint. That's who you are. That's your identity. And prayer changes things. Prayer changes people. There was a Christian school teacher from Bristol and uh, he had a colleague who was an avowed atheist, one of his really militant types, you know, was always going on about the fact there's no God. And uh, one day they they both took a class of uh, children to a a coastal field trip. I think it was in Cornwall. And at the end of the week, this atheist teacher decided to celebrate the end of the school trip by going into the sea for a swim. But what he didn't know is that there was a riptide and it carried him out to sea. And uh, before long, he was in serious trouble. And he was too far out for his shouts to be heard, so he started to wave back to the people who were on the shore looking at him. And at first they thought, he's just saying, hey, how are you doing, you know? Come on in, it's great in here. And, but then someone realized he was, he was panicking, he was really in trouble. So they managed to alert some lifeguards and uh, they brought him safely back to shore. And a bit later on the way home back to Bristol, the Christian teacher asked this man, said, I'm very interested to know, what were you, what were you thinking about when you were all at sea and in peril of drowning? And his reply was, I just kept repeating the Lord's Prayer. It's the only prayer I knew from my childhood. Well, that man was no longer an atheist after that experience. Deliver us from evil. Yeah. And if, I think if each of us here this morning shared one by one all the prayers that God has answered in our lives, I'm sure we'd, we'd take days to hear the end of it answered prayer in our lives. My observation in decades of being a Christian now is that praying Christians tend to be positive Christians. And praying churches tend to be prevailing churches. Because when a church gets it together, when it, when it really seeks God's faith, face, and when it prays heaven down on earth, things really begin to happen. People come to Christ more frequently. People get filled with the Holy Spirit more regularly. Uh, remarkable miracles and God incidences occur more often. There's more new ministries get raised up. Things start to, to motive. The church really moves forward. And I've seen this kind of virtuous cycle time and time again. Uh, and the key is consistent and united together believing prayer. Powerful stuff. And so I want, uh, in the five minutes or so that are left to me, to outline how we are planning to make this year a year where prayer becomes a greater priority for us here at King's and going forward. And I have to be honest, 
since coming here two and a half years ago now. There have been a few exceptions, but I've only rarely experienced that electric atmosphere of passionate believing prayer that I long to see. And I want to see more. I want to, I long to see a, a faith propelled rising tide of desire for God to move in power in this place. That's what I want to see. And I believe we will get there. I believe we want it. I heard only this week, actually, uh, someone sent me a text. About a half a dozen or so uh, decided to pray together uh, for a new outpouring of the Spirit, for a move of God in our town and nation. And that wasn't a top-down initiative. It wasn't the elders saying, we want people to do this or that. It, it just, just came spontaneously. It was organic. It came from hungry hearts that want to see God do more. I love that. I want to see more of it. I love it when I see people spontaneously pray for one another uh, at the end of a service like this or out in the cafe area over coffee as things come up in conversations. Beautiful. Now, the text I got this week was about the group of women who meet on Monday to chat and pray. They also have a WhatsApp group on their phones for people who can't uh, get there. And they've seen lots of answers to prayer. Just this week, for example, there was somebody who uh, shared in that group that they had a, a skin irritation. They were really concerned that it, it might prevent them from sleeping. And that group said, right, we're going to raise our voices to God. We're going to ask God about this. So they prayed into it. And that person slept through like a, like a log. God is good. There's an opportunity to pray together every Sunday morning. Uh, between quarter to 10 and 10.15. It's in the Cumberland room, uh, just to pray. Pray about stuff that God puts on our hearts. I know it's not the best time for everybody, especially if you're involved in getting the service ready, but for others, it's a perfect time. People who don't like going out at night, for example, it's a perfect time to come and pray. And one of the main reasons we're gonna be prioritizing uh, midweek groups here at King's uh, from this year is so that we can pray together for one another and for the mission of the church and for the town of Darlington and for the world. And on the last week of every month, the plan is that instead of meeting in homes, we come together uh, here in this building to hear from God, to, to discern what's on his heart and to raise our voices, to pray as a church in unity that God moves in power. The elders meet uh, every fortnight and they, they always spend an extended time of prayer at the beginning. But they're going to be spending a whole morning of prayer uh, twice a year, inviting other leaders and prophetic people uh, to come and join them to, to pray into sensing what's on God's heart going forward. And I'm sure there's a lot more going on that I'm not aware of. I don't know everything that happens at King's. So be encouraged and be excited. Keep going. God is able. And if it's time for you to kickstart your prayer life, if you think it's got a bit dusty recently, then let's go. Let's go together. Should we stand to pray? The band wants to come. They're going to lead us in a song at the end. But I just want to say that some of us here might be like Jabez, just in a cycle of pain. And you think you've heard from God this morning that today is the day that stops. You're going to ask God, no more pain. Bless me. Extend my territory. Let your hand be upon me. Hand of God. 
or it may be that you are conscious that you uh, desire greater authority, a new authority in prayer, confidence in faith in God's power to answer. You want more faith as you pray. Maybe for something you've been praying about for decades and you still haven't seen the answer and you want to keep going and your, your faith is lacking, it's flagging. You're more from God. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to move amongst us now. Holy Spirit, come, we pray. We'll wait upon you for a moment. And just in a moment of quiet, if you just need to ask God something, it might be the first time today. It might be the thousandth time you've asked. Jesus talked about keep on knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. Don't give up.